Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Johnson. Today is Monday, December 4th, 2023. We're continuing our look at the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. As we've been looking at this book, we see that Paul is continuing really to, to call out sinful behaviors within the church. Uh, there were things that were happening within the church, but even though they were happening within the church, they were known outside of the church. And, and ultimately, they were killing the testimony and, and the witness of the church in this community. There were so many things that, that were happening in the community around them, and the, the church was just kind of being a microcosm of the society. And they were doing the same things and even handling things the same way that the, that the world would handle the things. And Paul is really kind of challenging and encouraging them, admonishing them to say, hey, we, we, we are different. We've got to be different. We've got to act different. Today, we're going to see in, in these verses that we'll be looking at that Paul's addressing the, the way that they were handling conflict, conflict within the church. Um, Corinth was a very litigious society, and so it was very common and normal for anytime somebody did something wrong or did somebody wrong, man, you took them to court. You sued them. You, you, you went and got things. Uh, you got some kind of monetary repentance for that. You, you uh, recompense for that. And, you, you were, um, and so this was happening within the church as well. Instead of handling conflict within, they were taking people to court and they were, uh, the brother did something wrong to them, they were suing them. And so Paul is really addressing that that's not the way we're to handle conflict. Now, it's important that we recognize and know that, that even within the church, conflict is inevitable. Uh, we're going to have times of conflict. We're going to have times of disagreement. Uh, there's some realities around why this is true. First of all, it's true because believers still possess a sin nature. Although we're saved and we're in Christ, we still deal with the sin nature that is there. And, and so because of that, people are going to hurt us. People are going to, they're going to do wrong by us. They're going to sin against us. The second reason that, that conflict's inevitable is because we're emotional beings and, and we have feelings, right? And so when we're wronged, it hurts. Uh, when somebody sins against us or, or, or does something wrong to us, it's painful. Um, and, and we have this desire to be vindicated. We, we feel that, that we've got a right to, to get even or even get retribution for what has been done to us. And then the third reason is, is because we ourselves are prideful people, right? Uh, we want, we tend to want our way. James says in James chapter four, verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why do you argue? Why do you fight? Why do you fuss? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And then he goes on in that whole passage to talk about the need to humble ourselves. And the reality is that, that we are prideful people and we want our way. We want our way to be pushed forward. We want our voices to be heard, our perspective to be heard. And so because of these things, we're going to still see conflict. Now, the closer we get to Christ, the more we become like him. And the more we walk through this process of sanctification, we certainly should see less and less of this. Uh, but as long as we're on this earth dealing with sin natures and dealing with uh, ourselves as emotional beatings and the own pride within us, then we're going to have conflict. We're going to face these things. So if this is true, what should be our biblical response to conflict? How should we respond to uh, when someone hurts us or when we have a disagreement? Well, in this passage today, Paul really addresses the Corinthians and, and tells them how not to handle conflict because they were not handling it correctly. And so his, his perspective here today is, first of all, is, is what not to do. 
Um, and, and a few things I want us to note as we read this passage and kind of walk through uh, these verses. First of all, I want us to see that that the things that Paul is talking about here are not in reference to criminal acts. Uh, Paul's been very clear, Romans chapter 13, other places on the role of government. The role of government is to protect citizens from crime and from harmful behavior. And, and, and so Paul's not saying that we don't bring in the authorities or bring in the courts when crime, when a crime occurs. Uh, we're very clear if there's, if there's issues of sexual abuse or physical abuse or, or theft or things like that, then the authorities absolutely should be contacted and should be uh, allowed to, to intervene in those things. We should not try to keep those things quiet. And, and so many times uh, we're seeing the results even today throughout uh, just the world. And really, again, the testimony of, of the Lord being brought down because churches have kind of kept things hidden or said, well, we'll just handle our internally and we'll keep cover, keep things covered. And that's not ex- at all what Paul is saying here. When there's, when there has been uh, t- attacks and sin in a way that is a criminal behavior, uh, then we absolutely need to take those things to the court systems and, and allow them to intervene. But what Paul is talking about here is, are, are things um, that are that are civil issues and grievances and complaints and and just kind of squabbles between uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, what was happening was these Christians, when they were hurt and wrong, they were their answer was just immediately to to go to court and to sue their brothers and sisters. And so Paul is saying here that should not be the case. Uh, the clear admonition is that believers should settle these disputes among themselves within the context of the church and not in the public display by involving the courts. So let's read these verses, and then we'll kind of look through and talk through a little bit about what he has to say here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, and are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters of pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before uh, those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as we look first at these first first few verses, verses one through three, really, uh, Paul gives this indication of, of basically kind of saying, hey, you know, the reality is, and, he, and he's speaking of some kind of future, uh, of the future, I mean, speaking of the time that in the millennial kingdom and into eternity, there's there's an understanding that uh, we're going to we're gonna be, be judging the world around us, judging the angels here. And really the idea of judge here is, is ruling over and kind of ruling. We don't know exactly to what this is going to look like and to what extent. But Paul is basically saying, you're going to judge and you're going to rule the world of angels with Christ, but you can't even seem to deal with your own issues now. And really, the, the, by them doing this, it was an affront 
uh, on who God had created them to be and on the role that God had called calls us as, as Christ followers to carry. Uh, we're going to carry this role into eternity into, or into, or at least into the millennial kingdom, into the future. And, and so he's saying, hey, recognize right now that you have the authority within the church, within the confines of the, of the church and within the context of other believers to hold each other accountable and to to, to share with one another and to, to um, you know, there's so much in God's word that talks about, uh, again, this, this holding accountable with the purpose of restoration and healing and not retribution. And so um, Paul is saying, hey, recognize who you are, recognize this role and what God has called you to, and then be willing to, to live in that now. And instead of taking these things to others, rest in who you are as, as the body of Christ and let's encourage one another and build each other up in this and handle these things internally. He then in verses four through eight really speaks about the fact that they were bringing reproach to the name of Christ when, when they were engaging those outside the church. Uh, you know, in this, in this book of first Corinthians, there's a lot that Paul has to say about spiritual gifts. And uh, he talks about, you know, the reality they were, they were kind of arguing over who had the greatest gift and I'm better than you because I've got a better spiritual gift than you. And I have the gift of wisdom. I have the gift of tongues, all these things that are more, uh, you know, the better gifts, so to speak. And Paul is almost again kind of using this this hint of sarcasm here, where he's saying, "Hey, you claim to have all this wisdom and you claim to have all these spiritual gifts, but yet you're telling me you can't even handle these issues within the church. You can't apply that wisdom here to what you're doing." And he said, "Really, it's a shame. Uh, this is a shame. You're bringing shame and reproach to yourselves. You're bringing shame and reproach to Christ. You're a poor witness and a testimony to the world." You know, Jesus had said that the world will know that that we're His disciples. Why? By our love for one another. And instead of showing love for one another, they were taking their arguments and their their strife and laying it out in front of the world. And Paul is saying, "You're just you're bringing reproach. It's a shame what you're doing. Why not? If you've if you've got this wisdom, why not exercise it and practice it within the church?" He goes on to say, verse seven, that to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He basically is saying, "Hey, you're a loser before you even get started. You may win a settlement. You may uh, get some kind of retribution." But man, you're you're bringing reproach to yourself and you're bringing reproach to the name of Christ. And this is a lost cause. He even goes on to say that it really would be better for you to just say, hey, it, it's better to be defrauded and to just suffer the consequences of that than to bring reproach to the name of Christ. It's better just to accept the wrong that's been done to you than to bring shame to the name of Jesus. He says there, he says, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather suffer wrong? It's better to just kind of go through that and take, and he's not saying lay down and take abuse. No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, hey, it's better to, to deal with these things internally. And if you're not willing to deal with these things internally, then, then just go about your business and don't bring reproach. It's better to do that than to bring reproach to the name of Christ. He said, but instead, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do the very thing that you're accusing others of doing. Because again, you are seeking out vengeance and you're wanting your way. You're wanting to, to get even. And, and, it's, and, and you, you seek out this vengeance and you do it before a watching world that ultimately needs to see that there's a better way. There's a better way of handling these things. In the last few verses, verses 9 through 11, he reminds us that, that we're a new creation. So the, the implication is that, that we should act differently from the world. We should act differently from our old way of living. Verse 9 and 10 there, he goes through this list and kind of shows us these uh, these things that, that are not a part of the kingdom of God. And of course, he's not mentioning here and saying that it's just kind of a one-time act or a one-time mistake. But if this is, a, if this is your life, if this is what your life looks like, then you're not truly a follower of Christ. And then he says in verse 11 that, that such were some of you. The reality is all of us who are, who are, who are Christ followers now, 
These were things that were part of our lives before coming to Christ at one time. And so he says, recognize this is who you were, but this is not who you are now. You're now in Christ. You are a new creation. Old has passed away. The new has come. You are new in Christ. And so because you are new in Christ, don't keep acting like you were before. Don't keep acting like the world. He gives us three words here. They're just so encouraging and so good. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. When he says here that you were washed, he is speaking of that, that new birth, that new birth that comes at regeneration, at that time that we place our faith in Christ. We are washed in the blood of Jesus and we are given a new name, a new birth. Then he says you were sanctified. Now, most of the time in scripture, sanctified is dealing with that process of sanctification where we are becoming more like Christ. Here, really, he's speaking of a new status. He's speaking of the new status that we have in Christ. We are no longer a sinner. We are no longer those things that are said in verses 9 and 10. We are no longer a sinner, but now we are a saint. We are a holy one, and we belong to God. So washed indicates that new birth, sanctified, that new status. And then justified, we are, you are justified, indicates a new standing. You are declared to be innocent, not based on your works, not based on anything you've done, but you are declared to be innocent of your sin based on the righteousness of Christ, based on what Christ has done. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you as his follower, and now you don't stand as a sinner um, guilty of sin. You stand innocent based on the work of Jesus Christ. You have a new standing in Christ. And so as we recognize this new birth, this new status, this new standing, may it cause us to say, hey, we don't want to handle conflict like the world. We don't want to be just like everybody else was. We want to, to do things differently. So as we hear Paul giving this admonition on what not to do, it begs to, to question what should we do? How should we handle conflict? I'm thankful that, that God's word gives us clarity on that as well. And so when conflict comes, we must respond biblically. Paul addressed conflict uh, in another place as well in the, in the, in the, to the church at Philippi. In the book of Philippians, there was some kind of conflict that was between uh, some of the ladies there. We don't know exactly what was going on or what the, the issue was, but we know that something was taking place. And so uh, I want to look over at Philippians chapter 4 in the first seven verses of Philippians chapter 4 and see how Paul was encouraging the church at Philippi there to handle conflict. And it's a good admonition for us to know how to, how to handle conflict as well. So let's read this together, Philippians chapter 4, and then we'll walk through this, this, this uh, process that Paul has. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice, Lord, always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, some kind of conflict was happening, something was happening, and Paul was kind of giving a prescription, really, of how to handle conflict. How to, what, what are some things that we can do to, uh, to break down conflict and to, and, to, and to come together in love and serve one another together? The first thing he says here is to stand firm in the Lord. There in verse number one, stand firm in the Lord. 
Um, the word stand firm is the Greek word stako. It's a present active imperative. So the imperative tells us that it's a command. The present uh, active telling us that something that starts now and continues on. So he's saying, now that you're in Christ, start standing now firm in the Lord and continue standing. And ultimately what he's saying is in order to, to the first step to uh, dealing with conflict is be grounded in the gospel and be grounded in the teachings of God's word. So again, when we look to conflict, when we look to strife, make sure that any response that we are standing firm in the word, that we're standing firm in the Lord, that we're standing firm in the teachings of God's word. So, so we're, we're in the word, we're allowing the word to be in us and that we're committed to handling things in a biblical way. The second thing he says is to find a common viewpoint. Find a common viewpoint. Verse number two, he says, I, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Now, you may not see everything the same way. You may not see everything eye to eye. But the idea here is to find common ground. Find those things that do bring us together. Philippians chapter two, verse two, Paul had said just a couple chapters earlier, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord, be of one mind. The idea is to, to have a desire to come together and resolve the issue. You may not agree on everything. You may not ever come to the exact same viewpoint, but have that desire to find that common ground and to let uh, those things that, that are common among us really let those things uh, drive us. Let those things be the things that we focus on more so than the small things that may bring disharmony or disunity. The third thing that he says, stand firm in the Lord, find a common viewpoint, and then serve one another. Serve one another. He, he goes on to, to say that uh, you, you true companion, help, I ask you also, true companions, help these women. Help those who have labored side by side with me. Uh, that when he's the companion here is the idea of a, a yoke fellow. And it's the idea of two oxen and a yoke working together for a common goal. There's just, there's something special about serving one another or even coming together to serve together. And so he says, Hey, if you've got conflict with somebody, serve that person, find ways to encourage and help that person. Maybe find ways to serve others together. When we, when we serve on a ministry team or we serve in a con in the context of the church together with others, there's something unique and special about serving together that brings a unity and brings a harmony. And again, the things that would, would divide us become less and less important when we are seeking to find the good of others, serve one another, and, and serve others together. Not only should we serve one another, we should possess a rejoicing spirit. Possess a rejoicing spirit. Verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Here, the, the, the encouragement here is to recognize God's grace and goodness. Even in your conflict, even in your strife, find a way to rejoice no matter what the circumstance. And the reason I think Paul is encouraging us to rejoice even when we're dealing with conflict is because rejoicing in the Lord changes our perspective. It causes us again to look at what is truly important and what is trivial. And so our perspective gets changed when we take a when we have a rejoicing spirit. Then he also says to acquire a gentle spirit. Acquire a gentle spirit. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here the, the word reasonableness, it, it's it's gentleness, it's it's patience. And it really carries this idea of humility. And so again, it's it's putting aside my desires and my wishes and instead walking with a reasonableness, with a humility uh, in these things. And then, and then the last thing that he gives us here, kind of in this prescription for dealing with conflict, is he says, trade your anxiety for prayer. Trade your anxiety for prayer. Uh, he says, be, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Instead of worrying and stressing over the situation, take it to the Lord in prayer. So many times there are things that if we just take it to the Lord in prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and encourage us, it makes those things just kind of, again, shrink in importance and shrink in, in, their, in the magnitude of what we, how what we feel about them. So trade your anxiety for prayer. Acquire a gentle spirit. Rejoice, process, possess a rejoicing spirit. Serve one another. Find common viewpoints. Stand firm in the Lord. And the result, the natural result of this, according to verse 7, is the peace of God. It doesn't make any sense to anybody else or even to ourselves sometimes, but the peace of God will rule in our hearts and it will be a witness both to us and to those outside of us. So, so it becomes more about this whole idea of dealing with conflict. It becomes more about allowing God to do a work in our heart, to do a work in my heart, more than about getting even and more than about working, making the other person change or pay for their wrongdoing. So I pray that as we deal with, with strife and conflict within, our, within our, our, our communities of believers, within our church, that we would do so in a way that's biblical, that honors the Lord, and doesn't bring reproach to his name, but instead promotes the goodness, the grace, the mercy of Almighty God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today and uh, ask his help in these things. And we're also kind of praying today, praying this week for uh, those at Lifeline who interact with the public on a regular basis, that interact with uh, those who are, who are seeking our services, as well as uh, those who are in uh, government roles or in positions where we are uh, needing help and support uh, to be able to help those, that, the, the families and the children that we're serving as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today and, and, and ask his victim to work. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you and thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that when we face conflict and strife, God, you have told us in your word how to handle these things. You've given us clear direction and guidance, and you don't leave us just to ourselves. But, Lord, you promised that you would work through these things. And when we honor you and honor your word, uh, God, you do give us peace, and you do give us direction. And your name is lifted high, and you draw people to yourself. And so may that be our witness and our testimony as your followers. God, we continue to pray for the ministry of Lifeline. We thank you for the opportunities you give us to, to be a witness for you and to help others as well manifest the gospel to the vulnerable. And so, Lord, I pray specifically today for those on our team that interact with the public, that uh, maybe our receptionists and, and intake personnel and um, or those that, that field inquiries and also those that are reaching out to uh, other, other state agencies and organizations. And I pray, God, that you would use these individuals to be a witness to you, that they would uh, Lord, be able to, to do their work in a way that honors you and with kindness and gentleness and a, and a servant spirit and heart. I thank you so much for this team that does this so faithfully on a regular basis. And I pray that you would just continue to strengthen and encourage them and continue to give them opportunities to be a witness for you as well. Lord, as we approach the, this final month of the year, God, may this be a time that we, uh, again, just reflect on on the gift of Jesus and what you have done for us in providing your son. But Lord, also recognizing that there are many children around the world and there are many broken families around the world that don't know of this Jesus. And may we do all that we can to get the gospel to them. May we welcome children into our homes into our, and may we welcome families into our churches. Uh, Lord, and may we uh, truly proclaim the gospel in every way that we can. And so Lord, maybe, may we as we approach these final days of this year, may we be prayerful. Uh, may we be open to whatever it is that you want us to do, the role that you want each of us to play in manifesting the gospel to the vulnerable. We'll give you thanks and praise for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music